The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. Hello and welcome to another edition of Setting the Record Straight. My name is Russell Trewick. I am the pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Sweeney, Texas. Uh, today I want to share with you a short, uh, a short message that I shared a few weeks back um, on a topic called a biblical view of tithing. This was launched off of the. Uh, This was launched off of a message in the Law of God series uh, regarding biblical taxation. So here we go. First off, everything everything that exists belongs to God. Everything that is material belongs to Him. Exodus 9.29 says, uh, Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Psalm 24.1-2 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Psalm 50 goes on to say in verse 11, uh, verse 10 and 11, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Uh, reiterated in First uh, Corinthians ten twenty six, It says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So everything material belongs to the Lord, but also everything that is intellectual. 2 Corinthians 10, 5-6 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Everything belongs to the Lord, everything material, everything that's intellectual, and it's, and, and, and it's also everything that is inside and outside the constructs of time. Ecclesiastes 3, 1-5 tells us, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. And a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain is the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart. Yet, so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that they should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gifts to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. We also find in the book of Ephesians 1, verses 3-10, through 10, it said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations in the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved in which we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Everything that's material belongs to the Lord. Everything that is intellectual belongs to the Lord. Everything within and out, inside and outside the constructs of time, whether it be salvation or uh, the season of time for that you're in your life, everything belongs to Him. Secondly, this morning, if everything that exists belongs to and is for God, then why do we act if if as if God does not exist or own any of it. How do we do this? Well, we do this by robbing God. Now, for many people, they're like, "Uh, what do you mean I'm robbing God? Well, Malachi, in the Old Testament, even said in chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, But I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you... O children of Jacob are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are crushed with a curse. I'm sorry, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. We act as if God doesn't exist or doesn't own things because when we don't give, we do not tithe. We're going to talk about this in in many um, different ways in in the next few episodes, but I want you to understand this. We do it firstly by robbing God. And we've all done it at some point in time. We rob God of that which belongs to Him in the first place. Secondly, we do 
We do this also by refusing to serve him. We do it by refusing to serve God. Malachi 3 went on to say, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, How have we spoken against you? You have said, It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Please understand this. Listen carefully. It says, You have said it's vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? We do it by refusing to serve God. We've refused to to serve him and in doing so we act as if he doesn't exist. John 4 goes on to say, Meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Our example is Jesus Christ himself. He said, the food, the food that I receive, that which I, that sustains me, is not what I receive, but how I serve God and, and my, how he was serving his father and that he would accomplish that work. James 1, 19-27 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to, be, to anger. For the anger of man does not produce right, the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness, with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face. And for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We act as if God doesn't exist or own anything that we have by not only robbing Him, but when we refuse to serve God, and we refuse to serve God in areas that, that show the religion that He has called us to, and that's to take care of the widows and orphans. When we, when we hold back and we refuse to serve Him, when we refuse 
to to give where he has called us to give, to act where he has called to act. When we say with our mouths one thing, but our actions and our feet never follow. We refuse to serve him, and that's, that's how we act as if he doesn't exist. Remember, everything we have belongs to him, whether intellectual, uh, material or intellectual, anything. Our salvation and everything inside and outside the construct of time, they belong to him. And how do we come to this place and we look at our, our Savior as our, our example and he's, he says, my will is to do that of my, my will is to do the very work of my Father. And we come and we say, I don't have the time I don't have the money. I don't have the energy. I don't have the ability. And he's the one who says, everything belongs to me. I give it to you to use it. And you refuse to serve me. You refuse to to acknowledge my existence. When you do this, you rob me and you refuse to serve me. So let's go to the other side. When we do give to God, we also act as if He doesn't exist. We act as if we He doesn't own anything. When when we do give to Him and serve Him, but we refuse to do it His way. Second Corinthians nine sixty fifteen says the point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now listen very carefully here this morning. When we look at even verse 7 of this passage in 2 Corinthians 9, we're not looking at a way to give, but the intent of the giver. Remember it says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We need to, we need to look at the way a person gives. Jeremiah 17, 9 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. We must understand that just because Scripture says every man must decide in his heart, that does not mean that our heart is not deceitful and that our heart cannot lead us astray and to be disobedient. 
Matthew twelve thirty three tells us either the heart, either make the tree and it good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. But we are also reminded about the individual, whether whether a person belongs to God or not, whether a person is, is, is truly one of his children or not. Luke 6, 43-45 says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. We must understand that the intent of the believer has to do with the heart of the believer his 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 standing with god uh standing before god the intent of the giver is 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 what is at the forefront here you see our giving should not be something that is forced or enforced and we'll get to that this part a little bit more in the weeks to come but but flow from our love and adoration for god and one another. Let me say that again. Our giving should not be something that is forced or enforced, but flow from our love and adoration for God and one another. Second Corinthians nine verses one through five says, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boasted about you to the people of Macedonia, and say to say to Achaia has already, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so they are boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I have said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come and find and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you, but are being so confident. So I, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Not as something, he says, that has to be taken from you. Letting your words and your actions match up. John thirteen thirty four through 35 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that was what was going on both in 2 Corinthians 9 and here. It was a, it was a collection for the saints that were in struggle, the saints that were being persecuted, the saints that were losing it all. And it was a care, it was a care not for the church, it was care for the pe- for the people of God. And it was something that was not to be forced upon the other believers in other cities, but it was something that they were to give cheerfully to God. They were to give cheerfully to God. And in doing so, they would be providing for the saints and showing their love for God and for one another. D, or the last point, one of the last points as we move forward, says when we have such an attitude toward giving, when we rob Him and we do these things, 
we act as if he doesn't exist or that he doesn't own anything, we ultimately are lying to God and about him at the same time. Now I'm reminded of an account in Acts chapter 4 going into chapter 5. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Uh, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph who is also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means sons of, son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a, And then it goes on in chapter 5. There's a transition. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me what you sold the land for so much. Uh, uh, for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Folks, here's the reality. Here's the reality. When we have such an attitude toward giving, we lie to God and about Him at the same time. We, we have to come to this place of understanding that when we don't give as God has prescribed, when we give with a heart or reluct, uh, get a, give a heart in order to, uh, that, that acts as if he doesn't exist or that he doesn't own it, we lie. What Ananias and Sapphira did was very, something very simple. The example was Joseph, Joseph, who had come and he had sold a field and he gave it all. The fact, the problem was not that they kept any money back when they sold the property. It's how they presented it. It's the way their heart, the, the intent of the heart and the way they presented it. They presented it as if they gave all, yet in reality they withheld a portion. I think this is where many many of us find ourselves if we come to the reality where full we, we fully want to see God's work done but in reality we hold back a portion of our lives a portion of our income and we act as if we give it all 
we act as if we're sold out to the Lord. We act as if we sold our whole lives. We're we are slave to righteousness, but in reality, we're a slave to righteousness before men and what we present before men. And in doing so, we lie to God and about Him at the same time. See, the reality is, is when we look at a, a passage of Scripture like this about Ananias and Sapphira, we're no different. Romans three nineteen nine through 18 says, For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, that none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together we've become, they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And it goes on to say at the very end, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, brothers, I'm not saying that that's the way we walk and that's who we are and that's who we are all the time, brothers and sisters, but I will tell you this, that's how we live. We act as if God doesn't exist and that He doesn't own any of anything. Ecclesiastes reminds us, chapter 5, that we need to be careful in the way we live and the way we speak. It says, guard your steps in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when your dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness. Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there yet a higher one over him. But this is the game for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he has come from his mother's womb. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came. And he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so he shall go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all of his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. We, we need to guard our steps in every aspect especially as we as we talk about how we give 
there's been much talk about lately. The hottest topic is ecclesiology, and I'll, and I'm going to get into some other aspects of this in the months to come. I might be a little behind the times on it, but I want you to sh- I want to share these things with you. In Ecclesiastes 5, it tells us to guard our steps, to be careful what we say with our mouths and what about what we are doing or what we are to do. When we say it and we acknowledge it with our mouths, but our actions are completely contrary. You see, when we, when we oppress the poor and there is a violation of justice and righteousness, we ought not be surprised by God's response. There's great oppression in our land, both of the child in the womb, the orphan, those children who remain unadopted, that have been taken away from their families because their families have not taken care of them, have abused them, neglected them. The widows in our land, the widows who no longer have, they have no inheritance, they have no one to to take care of them, and we let them go by and just go by the wayside. What about the foreigner in our land, the sojourner who dwells amongst us, whether man calls it legal or illegal? When we look at these things, we need to guard our steps before we go when we go before a holy God. Because we can act as if and we can say with our mouths that everything that exists belongs to Him. But the reality is, do we live as if it does? Do we even live as if He exists and He owns it all? Is everything at your disposal dedicated to God? Or is it just a portion Remember, as we started off this this episode, everything belongs to God. Everything that's material, everything that's intellectual, and everything inside and outside the constructs of time. Or is that just mere words? May your feet catch up with your words. And until next time, God bless you and yours. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.